you know, S&P 500, if you just leave the money there from 2000 to this year, August 9th, 2020, by JP Morgan study, if you just invest in S&P 500 and don't even move, your rate of return would be above 6% per year. But then if you miss the best 10 days, it goes down to 2% per year. dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're going to do three things. First, we're going to answer a question from the MKM community about how to choose between a Roth and a traditional IRA. Second, we are back with our Be The Change segment. And as a reminder, everybody, this segment is all about charities and nonprofits that are dedicating themselves to improving the lives of children. This month, we're going to be featuring She's the First. This is an organization fighting to make girls' education a global priority. CEO Tammy Tibbetts is going to join us to tell us more about the organization and more about her new book, Impact, so we can all learn how to make an impact in our own way. And last but not least, my daughter Zoe's going to join me to read our review of the month. And we're going to have a quick chat about, oh, fall and soccer and Halloween. All right, let's jump into today's show. I received a question on Instagram from Alyssa, and here it is. Hey, Andy. I'm looking to open an IRA with Vanguard, but don't know if I should choose a Roth or traditional. Do you have any advice? Alyssa, thanks for reaching out on Instagram. If you guys want to ask a question like Alyssa, you can connect with me on Instagram at Andy Hill MKM or leave a voicemail at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail. It's always fun to hear your voices, especially since this is a podcast. So you could choose to do that or not, whatever you want to do. Anyway, Alyssa, this is a great question and congratulations on either starting your investing journey or expanding your investing portfolio. And to help me answer your question today, I am happy to be joined by author and certified financial planner, Echo Huang. Echo helps the country's top executives and entrepreneurs take the complexity out of their finances and give them the confidence to follow their dreams and achieve their goals. Welcome to the show, Echo. Hi, Andy. I'm thrilled to be on your show. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad to have you here and help us all learn and improve. So let's answer Alyssa's question together here. How can Alyssa decide between the Roth and the traditional IRA? Yeah, this is actually a common question, especially for younger investors. And I would say first, I would like to explain the key difference between the two. And I think it's the timing of paying taxes is the big difference. So for traditional IRA, you get a tax deduction on your contribution. So you are pretty much saving taxes now. But when you invest in and grow, someday when you take it out, normally after 59 and a half, you pay taxes at that time, at the tax rate upon distribution. So that's for traditional IRA is defer your taxes into the future. Roth IRA, on the other hand, is different, is you are actually using after-tax dollars to make the contribution. That means you are paying taxes now. The good news is when you invest the money in your Roth IRA, 
and it grows into the future, for example, when you take it out, when you retire after 59 and a half, all the earnings will be also tax-free. So it's just not the contribution originally. So just imagine the difference is the timing. So people will say, well, which one would be more beneficial for Elisa's situation? The answer is always depends, right? right? Because we don't know her situation, but I will certainly lay out several factors I believe are very important to consider to make that decision. The first factor is trying to decide your income level and the future tax rates. Well, you need to do a comparison of today versus the time you take it out. You know, generally after 59 and a half, if you think future income level will be lower and your tax bracket, when we say tax bracket is that, remember the highest tax rate that you pay, remember it's progressive tax rate, that's the tax rate you should compare to today's tax rate. And certainly, if you believe your tax rates will go up during retirement compared to today, it's better to pay lower taxes today, right, at the lower rate, and also at the certain rate that you know. Because long-term is not very clear to most people. So it's important to do a tax rate comparison. If it's higher into the future, Roth is better choice than traditional IRA. I think the second factor I want people to kind of think about is diversification. When I say diversification, it's not talking about investment diversification. We are talking about diversification of potential income sources during retirement. So when you're retired, you are you will get income from different sources like social security, pension, annuity, and you may need to withdraw from your 401k IRA, right? And because they are taxed differently. So I would want people like Alisa, think about potentially you have your investments in all three buckets that they are taxed differently. The first bucket is tax-free bucket. So the Roth IRA and Roth 401k should be in that bucket. That means in the future, when you withdraw, 100% income tax-free, federal and state, okay? The second bucket, I call it tax-deferred bucket. That is traditional IRA, traditional 401k that you use pre-tax dollar to put in your 401k because you delay paying taxes. So you will have to pay taxes when you withdraw during retirement. The third bucket is, I call them taxable investments. That is investment account you can open in your own name or jointly with your somebody or your spouse, or you get more sophisticated uh, with your estate planning, you set up a revocable living trust. So because taxable investments are taxed, ongoing, if you utilize capital gains, you pay capital gain tax every year. So they all have different ways. The reason why I want people to think about that diversification of income sources in the future is because tax laws can change very quickly. So if you have money in all three buckets, when somebody is the president who decided to raise the uh, tax rate by five to 10% during like four year or eight year period, you can say, you know what? Thank goodness I have a quarter million dollar in Roth. I'm just gonna take out 50 grand for my Roth, maybe just a little bit for my IRA. And I can manage it that way to not to get to very high tax bracket. 
And of course, that would affect how Social Security income is being taxed as well. And that, so that's the second factor people should consider. The other factor is your expectation about how our country will handle this rising deficit Mm -hmm. because tax laws can change when the government decides it's the time to print more money or raise taxes to, you know, collect more taxes to pay, reduce deficit. So if you feel like the next, uh, during your retirement, that the government may potentially do that. And especially for people who are closer to retirement, we are predicting the next decade. If I have to predict is we have temporary tax cut that may be changed rather quickly because the deficit for this country is projected next year to be as large as entire country's GDP without counting the further coronavirus relief package. So if you want my opinion about it, is the next decade, we could probably see income taxes going up. So those, I think, are main factors for people to decide. Personally, I want to share with you that I have done rather pretty good tax planning in the past 20 years because I took advantage of three years. I started business three times. And every time when I started business, my income was extremely low. (laughs) So you should think about either converting some IRA money to Roth so that you have some tax-free money growing for you. When you have unusual year, such as this year, many people may have lower income this year. Well, let's squeeze lemons and make lemonade and treat it as an opportunity to convert some IRA. It doesn't matter, you know, based on each tax bracket, you're like, you know, I don't want to go over paying 20 some percent. You know, you can remain, get it lower. So tax bracket management is a great opportunity for people to accumulate more tax-free dollars in Roth IRA or at work in the Roth 401k. And I do want to help Alyssa a little bit more by explaining there are some income limits. If you consider about, you know, if you decided that, wow, Roth IRA seems good to me, especially for some people, they already have 401k, the employer's matching in the future will be taxed. And you think about you already have some money that will be taxed, that's considered tax deferred. It may be really good for people to just to diversify, to have Roth IRA if their incomes are below the IRS limit. Quickly, I can tell you that for a single person this year, if your modified adjusted gross income is below 124,000, you can put in 6,000 maximum. You can put in 7,000 if you are age 50 and older. So that's for single filer. And for married filing jointly, if your modified adjusted gross income is below 196,000, you can maximize your contribution of 6,000 or the 7,000. So it's really good for people to know that's a really good option to complement the company's 401k plan so they can choose to do both. And for the people who said, well, I prefer to delay taxes. Well, traditional IRA, unlike Roth IRA, there are no income limits. 
But you do need to follow the income restriction to calculate how much can be deducted on your tax return. So when it's deducted, that's when you can save taxes right now, right? So quickly, single filer, if you make less than 65000 you can fully deduct it. But of course, it, between sixty-five and 75000 you can calculate partial deduction for married filing jointly. If you may have less than 104000 or less, you get a full deduction. This is in the situation where you have 401k mm-hmm. plan. That's why you have to follow this. But if you don't, you and your spouse do not have any employer sponsor plan, they are fully deductible. So I just want, you know, Alyssa to have kind of better kind of a framework in terms of income level to make that decision. We don't know all the details about Alyssa, but let's assume (laughs) that she is already investing in her 401k and it's a traditional 401k at work. Mm-hmm. Based on your thoughts there about tax diversification, and if she's below that income limit, mm-hmm. would a Roth maybe make sense to have some diversification? I would, especially if she's much earlier in her career. So if people, you know, in general, I would say, you know, younger investors, they are at the beginning of their career, their income will go up in the future and they may not qualify to put anything in Roth IRA anymore if they don't have the choice at work to make Roth 401k contribution. So this is just kind of thinking in general, younger people will benefit more from funding Roth IRA for retirement than people at their peak earning years you know, like 55 and 60 when they are at the peak of their career. So that's in general. Another thing I mentioned is definitely, it's kind of like a buy-in insurance to protect future tax hike. Don't feel bad if you bought some insurance, you don't have to use it. We all have some kind of insurance that we don't never, we never use. I hope I never use. Just think of it that way when you look at tax diversification. You are having something, you pay taxes at the rate you know exactly to help you protect from future tax hike. Even sometimes 3% to 5% tax rate increase. That could be pretty dramatic. You know, IRS is going to take a big chunk of your lifetime accumulation at some point. You cannot avoid paying taxes anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And the way that things are going this year, there's a lot being borrowed and it's going to have to be paid back somehow. Well, let's talk to Alyssa about maybe other ways outside of the IRA Mm -hmm. where she can build wealth. I know that's a big movement that you are on, Echo. So talk to us about other ways that folks can build their wealth outside of the IRA. You know, especially for people who are working on, you know, either catch up because they didn't do enough in their 20s and now they get to their 30s or 40s. I really urge people, in addition to taking advantage of employer matching and the 401k and do the Roth IRA, do your best to also invest in the taxable account. And of course, you have a guest here talking about HSA. I'm a big believer because of triple tax benefits. I maximize mine every single year and try to stay healthy and not to use any money from there. And so for people like Alyssa, I think it's really important if you're able to save more, think of your other goals. That's shorter term or intermediate term. I'm talking about if you are planning to buy a home, 
or someday you want to start a business or your kids, they need to go to college or other things that you may need to tap into the asset before 59 and a half. So it's really important to have some investments that can grow, outperform what you can earn in your savings and CDs. So what I would say is first, make sure you have emergency fund in the check-in and savings that covers at least six months of your essential living expenses. And then start looking at your goal five years to 10 years and put some money to work. Opening account very similarly at these institutions, for example, like Vanguard, TD Ameritrade, and you can actually start investing in something that's not that long-term, but you can minimize the risk by choosing, for example, more short-term bonds, you know, and short-term intermediate bonds, depending on your time frame. But you don't have to put all your money in stock market because certain account has different time horizons. So personally, I always advocate you need to have three buckets of money you need to invest with based on your own time horizon, your future withdrawal needs, and of course, your tax situation to choose where to put more money over time. And your tax situation can change, so it should be reviewed every year. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And you know, this has been a really tough year for a lot of people. You know, sometimes, as you mentioned, the emergency fund, it can be as simple as that too for folks, especially if they've had a rough year. If they're looking to sort of reset, you know, we're talking at the end of the year here, if they can sort of reset and look at making 2021 Mm -hmm. their best Mm -hmm. year yet, what's a good first step for people just to get back on track? You know, we do have to go back to the financial planning principle. I cannot say enough how important setting a budget and sticking to it, how important that is, especially during pandemic. So we all have to look at, if you don't have a plan, it's a perfect time to create one. Doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be elaborate. You know, it could be something just as simple of like, how do I get to having enough emergency fund? So that will provide me security and offers me better opportunities. Because when you're talking about job market and the change in the industry, we must be adaptable. When you don't have that safety net emergency fund, you can't just move to another state and take a better job or, you know, start a business, you know, during this time, right? So I think that's really important for people to review their budget, create a bare bone budget. Personally, I use mint.com to track my expenses. And Me too. <laughs> I like it. I mean, I've been using it for years now and I recommend that to a lot of people, including my clients. Do a really good job there. Trim the fat on the budget. Anything discretionary well, this is time to cut back. I, you know, regardless how much income you earn, I think it's really critical to understand how you direct your resources towards your short-term, intermediate-term, and long-term goals. And the second thing I really want people to remember is we got to go back to the principles of investing. There are probably at least two. I will mention two today. The first one, of course, diversification. We all know that, you know, it's probably not worth it to gamble and put all your eggs in one basket. Let's not pick like a five stock and just hope they will help you retire. So diversification means globally. So U.S. stock market is about 58% of the entire world. And I know we probably have home buyers feeling a lot more secure investing in only U.S. companies. (laughs) However, do not forget in the future, 
there are some companies outside of U.S. could be doing better than in the U.S. And you know we are facing all kinds of uncertainties in this country. So the next decade, who knows? Some companies outside of U.S. could be doing really well because they are adaptable to technology, right? So I want people to think global when it comes to investing, not just you know having a few stocks and hope. And of course, second principle, I believe, is the time in the stock market is more important than timing of the market. And you probably would agree that very few people could predict the stock market well and just decide when to get back in. And, and you know what? The studies show many, many times that individual investors do not do well and they don't even earn close to market return because of that problem is they, they emotional investing. And, you know, S&P 500, if you just leave the money there from 2000 to this year, August 9th, 2020, by J.P. Morgan study, if you just invest in S&P 500 and don't even move, your rate of return would be above 6% per year. But then if you miss the best 10 days, it goes down to 2%. Per year. So it's only 10 best days over 20 years and seven months. So I just want people to kind of let that thing sink in and the money that you have designed, you know, proper allocation to focus on your long term. A lot of people is long term saving, you know, investment goal for retirement. They need to be designed to invest for the long-term and we need to have the growth perspective. So stock market has to be very important part of your investment portfolio. Of course, you can tweak it by combining bonds and real estate and cash to adjust the proper risk for your own situation. Yeah, you have to be right twice if you're jumping in and out of the market, right? You gotta gotta jump out at the right time and you jump back in at the right time. So that makes it very, very difficult. I understand you have a new book out there and it could really help people with this wealth management situation. Tell us a little bit about the book and then where people can find it. Yeah, I am so pleased to tell people about my new book, Own Your Future, One Woman's Story of Immigration and Financial Freedom. I came to the U.S. at age 20 alone with $800 in my pocket. Today, I I am very proud to announce that I have achieved my American dream because now my company, I started five and a half years ago. We manage more than $120 million for 76 clients in this country. I think a few of them overseas. And so I, the main purpose, the first purpose of writing this book is to educate and inspire more people to start planning now, regardless how much money they have in order to own their future. Because I can explain how I have done it and the, you know, the struggles I had to go through and mistakes I made. And I followed some life principles that have really benefited myself. And then most of the chapters focus on helping people understand the framework of financial planning from my point of view as a fiduciary financial planner who looks out for your best interest. And I think it's really important for people to understand if they do not feel comfortable doing it on their own, 
it's extremely important to learn how to look for the right financial advisor. I have one chapter about that. And also learn to manage their emotional we are biased as humans. And there is one chapter talking about how to overcome behavioral biases in order to create successful investing experience. And I have examples and cases to help people identify and check themselves so that they don't make that crazy mistake by buying high and selling low all the time. So I would love to have you check out my personal website. That is ownyourfuture.guru. Guru is G-U-R-U. So Own Your Future is the, comp- is the book. Dot guru, because I really want to be your personal financial guru, even though I may not be able to serve everybody. So please feel free to check out my blog there and connect with me on major social media. If you are interested in my firm service, of course, check out my company website. That's echowealthmanagement.com. And you can watch a short video to, to see how we provide services using Echo Dashboard. Excellent. Well, I will definitely put those links in the show notes for everybody to check out. Just to let you know, Echo, fiduciary is our favorite F word on this show. So thank you very much for being here and telling us about the importance of that. And everybody, thank you so much for checking it out. Ownyourfuture.guru if you want to check out the book. Echo, thank you so much for your time today. You're very welcome. We'll be back to the show after a word from our sponsors. Thanks for taking the time to consider our sponsors, everybody. Let's jump back into the show. For our Be The Change segment this month, we are featuring She's The First, an organization that believes that every girl, no matter where she's born, deserves to be educated, respected, and heard. I've invited the co-founder and CEO of She's The First, Tammy Tibbetts, on the show today. Her book, Impact. This is a new book. It's a step-by-step plan to create the world you want to live in. It's also written with her co-founder, Kristen Brandt, and it's going to be published this month. Welcome to the show, Tammy. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for being here today. Let's talk about girls' education. I know you're very, very passionate about it. I have a daughter, Tammy. She's eight years old, and we know as her family and our community that she lives in a very privileged area. And I know that's not the case with a lot of adolescent girls around the world. So how many girls are out there right now that should be in school that aren't? There are 130 million girls around the world who should be in school and are not. And that was before the start of the pandemic. Wow. And, and how has the pandemic made this worse? Yeah, I mean, well, that's what you know, everyone's worried about. There are estimates that after the pandemic, 20 million more girls will never return to secondary school. That was based on research that the Malala Fund did, looking at the numbers after the Ebola epidemic in West Africa. So we know that pandemics have disproportionately negative consequences on girls and women. And that's why at She's the First, we've been sounding the alarm bells since March on how important it is to prioritize girls and interventions that will protect them. Because we know when when you protect girls, you end up benefiting the entire community. Absolutely, in the world. So let's talk about what happens when these girls don't get the education that they need. Obviously, we're talking education is very great. It's a privilege. But what happens to girls when they don't get this long term? Yeah, well, education is like the ultimate ticket out of 
poverty. It's what you use to navigate the world and ultimately have a life that is of your own choosing. So when girls don't have an education, they become trapped in the cycle of poverty that every other generation before them, they don't get to have a a career of their choice. They usually just end up forced into marriage and having kids and more kids than they may be even able to support. And that's like you're saying with, with your daughter and with our own lived experiences, we know how valuable our own education has been in our success. So I think that's where a lot of the personal passion behind She's the First starts with me. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about the positive impacts. You guys are doing a lot of great work with She's the First. When a girl does receive that education, how does that change her life? How does that change the trajectory of where she can go? Oh, there is just all of these positive ripple effects when you educate a girl. And over the last decade that I've been doing this work, I think public figures like Malala and Michelle Obama have really helped to get this awareness out there. So hopefully for most of your listeners, you know they're familiar with those facts on when you educate a girl, she ends up earning a higher income. She ends up deciding you know, when and if she wants to get married and when she wants to have kids and how many, has fewer children, healthier children, educating girls, slows the spread of disease. And another fact that I think a lot of people don't realize is that educating girls also has a very positive benefit on our environment and it can help reverse global warming. A few years ago, there was something called Project Drawdown. Policymakers and scientists and researchers came together to create a list of what the 100 best ways of slowing down climate change were. And educating girls ended up being number six on a list of 100 solutions. I love that fact, but why is that? When girls are educated and they have fewer children, just having fewer children, you know, you're using less of the earth's resources. And you're also, when you're educated, you know how to steward the environment better. You know in your own household how to generate less waste. So even on that list, when there were other solutions from, you know, using you know, solar panels on your house, that's not even in the top 10, right? So I've been encouraged seeing new supporters come to She's the First through this lens of being environmentalists. And it's been a great way to bring people into the movement who maybe gender equality, while they care about it, maybe that's not their North Star. Maybe their North Star is actually having a sustainable planet. And if that's the case, then girls' education is just an issue that enables you to make the world better in so many different ways. What are the aspects out there that are hindering girls' education? Well, She's the First is supporting girls across 11 different countries and girls who who will be the first in their family to go to school. And poverty is what stands in their way. I mean, their, their families face the very difficult decisions of, you know, do I send my daughter to school or do I keep food on the table? So, you know, and the way we approach our work, teaming up with local organizations, that's so important because you need to understand that the pressures that families are under and find ways to make it work and to partner with families so that they not only understand the long-term benefits of seeing their, their daughters succeed, but also finding ways to adapt the program so that girls can support their families and help them around the home within reason, but also that parents 
realize that, okay, we need to set aside the time for our daughter to do her homework and to study. So, so poverty is, is one of the main obstacles. Let's talk more about She's the First. So what are you guys doing now to help with that? You said, obviously, poverty is the main thing. Are you focusing on ways to end poverty or support the education side or a little bit of both? At She's the First, we take an approach of how do we center girls' voices and needs in everything that we do. We fund the programs of local organizations, as I mentioned, across you know our network of 11 countries. We also build the capacity of those local partners so that they can ultimately improve the outcomes of their programs for girls. And we do advocacy work, like we co-led the Global Girls Bill of Rights, which was written by and for girls on the rights that are most important to them. These individual groups that are in country, are they providing the education and you are, are then supporting them, both resources as well as monetarily? Access to education is one piece of the programming. What I would argue is even more important is looking at the support system that surrounds a girl. For example, mentorship, we found to be one of the most effective interventions, especially making sure that girls have access to mentors. At the end of the day, you know, when you graduate from school, it's just a piece of paper and that, that can get you far. You know, that is, as I said, the ticket to find jobs and employment and be able to support yourself. But that piece of paper isn't worth much if you're not also able to stand up for yourself and to advocate for your rights when you see others are not respecting you. To negotiate, you know, a lot of girls, they, as, as I said, they can face the pressure of needing to go into a forced marriage or go get work. And if a girl doesn't have the confidence and the support around her, to be able to stand up and challenge those norms, then it's much easier for her to fall back. And, and I say that, you know, acknowledging that it's not just on the girl's shoulders to push her way through these obstacles. Like we also need to work with communities and adults to remove them in the first place. And that's how we approach our work, both empowering girls on that individual level, but also working on how do we transform the systems that they're a part of as well. Those are big steps. So it's impacting poverty, changing the way society views women and girls in a more positive light, and then also giving the girls the confidence to know that they can be more than just mothers or housekeepers or whatever societal norm they've been placed in. Is that right? Exactly. And and underscoring all of that with the importance of, you know, are we listening to girls and just asking them directly what their needs are? so that the programs that are meant to support them actually are setting them up for success in the way that they need. Can you share any positive results you've had from the organization? It's always good to kind of maybe give a little case study of of somebody who's gone through your program and, and see where they've gone. Yeah, well, so this past year, we've been heavily focused on our COVID-19 response fund. To date, we have been able to ensure ongoing programming for more than 9,000 girls And we have been able to support over 6,000 girls in accessing those mentorship programs that have needed to be adapted to a remote or digital format. And we've also helped almost 2,000 families access food, water, hygiene supplies through kits that our partner organizations have been delivering to girls' families. 
And there's one particular story that I love from our Guatemalan partner, Maya, and Maya serves an indigenous girls. Food insecurity is a huge problem in the country. So one of the girls in their program actually had the idea of, it's great to, you know, of course, deliver those food kits now to alleviate the immediate hunger and suffering that families are facing, but what is also a more sustainable approach in the long term? And the girl's idea was to help families start gardens. So there were about 25 girls and families who piloted these home gardens. And it was so successful that another 60 families started gardens. And then girls ended up, with the support of Maya, connecting with the local leaders in their community to identify what are the households outside of our program who are struggling and don't have enough food? How can we end up giving our extra produce to those families? And I love it because I think it's so important that, yes, like we do need to just take immediate action, especially in these times of emergency. But how do we also think longer term on what is a more sustainable approach? And Again, like remembering how when we turn to girls for their ideas, they end up having solutions that not only serve themselves and their own families, but ripple out to the wider community. I feel this theme of, yes, taking care of the immediate needs, but then also finding ways to invest in the future of where these girls can go. And that's a beautiful, beautiful message. So you guys have been around for how long as an organization? 11 years. 11 years. That's beautiful. So where do you hope to go over the next five years? Yeah, well, I mean, getting through 2020 and 2021, you know, I'm focused on how do I make sure this organization is sustainable? As the CEO, you know, I'm thinking about how do we, how do we get more monthly donors and multi-year grants so that, you know, and I don't want to just squeak by, you know, it's not just about survival, but I'm also thinking about, well, how can we try some more innovative approaches too, so that we can end up even leapfrogging through this. And when you look at the, for example, in our COVID response fund of providing girls with access to technology to continue their education as schools remain shut down, you know, if we really could get tablets and Wi-Fi into girls' hands, even when schools reopen, if they still have that access, it is going to enable them to accelerate their learning in a way that wasn't even possible pre-COVID. Short answer is to, you know, sustain our work for the long haul through these times of, of crisis, but with an eye of how can we come out of it on the other end even stronger. I like that. Yeah, a lot of people are looking to, for ways to pivot right now or, or find ways to leapfrog where they are based on what's going on, take what we have and create some lemonade out of it, right? So let's talk about your story a little bit because you don't just start something 11 years ago out of a whim. You must have had some passion. Talk to me about why you started this organization and how you got so passionate about it. Yeah, well, I started She's the First when I was 23. Originally, it was a social media campaign back in 2009, which if you remember is when social media was kind of just taking off. And I was a young millennial, so I knew how to use these networks and those skills to mobilize my friends, originally just to donate a few dollars here and there to fund girls' scholarships. And that was really personal to me because I am the first in my family to graduate from college. And then as I you know, poured my, my skills and my heart into this idea called She's the First, 
it quickly evolved into a nonprofit. And by three years later, it became my full-time job. I previously worked in the media industry. And as we've grown over the last decade, the vision is still the same of, you know, how do we fight for a world where every girl can choose her own future just in the way that I was able to. But I've recognized that while education is kind of the first step, it is so necessary to have a, a broader conversation about girls' rights and how do we make sure that every girl gets to experience those rights no matter where she is in the world. And the, and the key to doing that is by taking a, a very community-based approach. And you know, we wouldn't be where we are today without finding these amazing local partners. And that's my focus now is how do we keep reinforcing community-based organizations to do what they do best. That's incredible. Well, your new book is called Impact. So it sounds like you're doing a lot of that right now where you are. And what is the purpose of you writing this book? Are you hoping to influence other folks to do the same kind of work that you've been doing? Yes. So as I, as I mentioned, girls' education, girls' rights is my North Star, my number one passion. But Kristen and I, after doing this work for a decade, we wanted to set people up for success in making a change, regardless of the issue that they wanted to be a part of. And we found that so many of our friends seeing our work, you know, they asked, how, you know, how do you do that? Like, how, how can I make a difference? And there was just, there wasn't one answer that suits everyone. It really is a, a personalized answer based on who you are, what your life experience is, the resources that you have to offer. And this book walks you through the journey of how you figure that out. And you, you actually come out of it with a physical one-page impact plan to keep you aligned with the outcome you want to achieve in the world and actionable steps to sustain that over a lifetime. That's incredible. That sounds really inspiring. Where can people find the book if they're interested in learning more about impact? Well, you can find the book wherever books are sold. But if you go to planyourimpact.com, you can get more information and we'll link you off to some of our top retailers. Excellent. Well, I'll put that link in the show notes. And if people want to learn more about She's the First and consider donating, knowing how important this cause is right now, especially during COVID, where should they go to learn more about She's the First? Please visit she's the first.org or she's the first.org slash COVID to learn specifically about our COVID-19 response. And really like even small contributions go such a long way. So we would love to have your support if you can give, or if you can't even just amplifying the message and following us on Instagram and sharing our posts. We're in a season getting close to the holidays. We're in the middle of an election season. This is a time for us to think about things that can really make an impact on the world we want to see, the world we want to be a part of. So I would encourage everybody to consider going to check out She's the First, she's the first.org, learning more about this organization and consider donating if this conversation moved you at all. So Tammy, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's happy to be here. Tammy, two inspiring women who are breaking barriers and leading the way for a more financially healthy and globally healthy world. It was an honor to chat and learn from both of them today. As a quick reminder, everybody, this show is for entertainment purposes only. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation.
Before we go for the day, I'd like to ask you to do one quick thing to support this show. Please leave me a review in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Those reviews help more people to find this show. If you look at shows that have like 300 reviews versus one, you might want to check out the one that has more five-star reviews, right? So maybe you could help me by leaving a review. And to encourage you to leave that review, each month we do a book giveaway. So we received seven reviews since last month's book giveaway offer. And as a reminder, this quarter, we're going to be giving away three different books from past podcast guests. Those books are as follows. Jed Collins with Your Money Vehicle, Dylan Redling and Allison Tom with Start Your Fire, all about financial independence, and Carol Pittner and Doug Nordman with Raising Your Money Savvy Family for Next Generation Financial Independence. And to help me pick the winner this week, I've got my assistant, Zoe Hill. What's up, Zoe? I got a red marker. You got a red marker? Yeah. Where'd you get that? From my pencil box. That's exciting. Can you tell us about what you're wearing right now? It's a Halloween outfit. You're Captain Marvel. It's a movie we both love. And today I'm going to get a new pink marker. That's great. So you got a red marker and a pink marker, huh? Yep. And I'm going to make a candy cane. Oh, that's cool. Even though it has white in it. I'm going to make Cherry candy cane. That's awesome. All right, let's get to this review. Zoe, would you mind asking? Alexa, <laughs> pick a number between one and seven. Your random number between one and seven is three. All right, our three. third review. Yes. Now, our third review comes in from John D. Potts, and he calls it a great podcast for family and finances. Yay. And Zoe, here you go. You want to read it? Really been enjoying this podcast. Found it when I was searching for episodes about paying off my mortgage early. Awesome. Very cool, Zoe. Thank you so much for reading that awesome review and short oh, review. Yeah. Thank you very much for reading. And thank you, John, for sending that over. John, I don't have your email. So if you could shoot me a note with a screenshot of the review to Andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com and we will find out which book you want of the ones that we read earlier. So everybody, if you want Zoe to read your review and we can have some silly banter about markers. So make sure to leave a review, take a screenshot of that review, email me at Andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com. We're going to have the same books again and we would love for your feedback. So thank you very much, everybody. And thank you, Zoe Hill. You ready to go to school? Oh, before we go to school, we have one more drawing, one more random Alexa choosing that I need your help with because we did a survey to the audience. For $50. To the, yeah, for $50 Amazon gift card. Yeah. And we want to give it to somebody right now for helping me out. We have 127 people. What? Yeah, 127 people filled out this survey. And I just want to say thank you, everybody, for doing that. That meant a lot to me. It helped that me understand. That one out of 120. Yeah, one person's going to win out of 127 people. So that's pretty good odds the to get 50 bucks. The person must be lucky. They must be lucky. So let's do it. Alexa, set a random number between 1 and, one, and 127. Your random number between 1 and 127 is 79. I've got it here, and it's from, we, since this was anonymous, I don't really have anybody's name, so I'm going to send this $50 gift card to this awesome email that I don't want to give out on air. Uh, this is kind of awkward. Anyway, we're giving away a $50 gift card to this awesome person who filled out the survey, and Yay. I'm very thankful for them doing that. So this is coming your way, person. <laughs> 
and is coming your way. Random person, um, thank you. Number 79. Number seven, let's just call him number 79. Number 79, thank you so much for your help. And thank you for giving us information Yay. that'll help us make a better show. All right, Zoe, now are you ready to go to school? Um, no, because I still have like 10 more minutes. 10 more minutes. Okay, cool. Well, goodbye. <clears throat> this month on the show, we have another great lineup of guests, and I think you guys are really going to dig it. November 9th, next Monday, we've got the creator of the Neighborhood Finance Guy, Lawrence Gonzalez, and he's going to share some smart financial goals to consider before you get married. And then the week after that, November 16th, I am switching up our mortgage-free segment a bit. I know some of you really like it. Some of you are like, hey, get a little variety. So we're going to feature some other cool stories now instead of just the mortgage payoffs. I'm not getting rid of it because I really like it too. Maybe every other month in 2021. But anyway, this is based on the survey feedback. So everybody, thank you so much for getting back to me with that survey. And this month, just to talk about November 16th, we are going to be featuring Josh Hastings about how he and his wife paid off $300,000 in student loans, which is pretty much the size of a mortgage. So it kind of is a mortgage-free segment. Anyway, the week after that, November 23rd, Monday, we are going to be having financial planner Ed Vargo. He's going to share how we can help our teens be excellent money managers. And then the last Monday of the month on November 30th, we're going to have young millionaire teacher Brian Wietzel join us, and he's going to tell us how he accumulated a $1 million investment portfolio by age 40. Yeah. It's going to be a great month. October was our best month ever for downloads, and I'm recording this three days before October's over, so that's great. So thank you all very much for helping this show. Thank you all very much for making this show possible, and I just love doing it. Thank you for continuing to tune in. I'm having a blast, and I hope you are too. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Simon Sinek. Genius is in the idea. Impact, however, comes from action. All right, everybody, let's get to it. Carpe diem. 